Hi there, I'm Alan Mann, and this is Stories in Stride, brought to you by American Region Animal Health and makers of Ataquan IN. In this series, we take a glimpse into the remarkable true events of those who have left their mark on our equestrian community. We hear the heartbreaks and triumphs and the untold stories of our equestrian heroes and their amazing animals. The journey starts now. Today, our special guest is David O'Connor. David O'Connor is one of the most prominent U.S. eventers of our time. He has three Olympic medals from his rides in the 96 Atlanta and 2000 Sydney Olympics, including individual gold. He has further made our country proud with top spots in the World Championships and the Pan Am Games. Over his impressive 40-year career, his trophy case has been filled with gold, silver, and bronze medals from around the world. So it's no wonder he was USEA's Rider of the Year in 1996 and 1997. He has guided the integrity and success of the equestrian sports in our country as the United States Equestrian Federation president from 2004 to 2012. That is quite a... It's it's almost embarrassing to hear. So, you know, everyone has to start somewhere. So where did your life begin with horses? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, my mother, you know, was very involved in horses, British. So she was always the horse person. And my brother and I both did the local pony club thing. And uh, we weren't really big horse show people. Um, you know, this, the finances weren't there. But, um, you know, local events and all that kind of thing. And, you know, um, that's really how it all started. Um, I've been lucky to do a lot of different things for the horses, you know, and, um you know, one of those big things was that big trip across country that we did when we rode from Maryland to Oregon, you know, when I was a kid and with my brother and my mother and I, and that kind of, you know, it, 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 the horse world seems to have taken over. How old were you when you went on that trip? Yeah, I was 11 and my brother was 13. And you rode horseback across the entire country? Yeah. We started here, yeah, we didn't start in the ocean, but we started here at White's Ferry, um, you know, right here in the uh, south side of, between Maryland and Virginia. Yeah, we rode to Oregon. It was my mother's thought process that went a long time ago, 1973. Um, but, you know, it, it certainly shapes your life. And a lot of times, even as a kid, you know, it shapes a lot of the things that you believe in just because you see how people live. Um, you get, a, obviously, a tremendous feeling for the country. And uh, that's a lot of time to spend walking a horse. Um, so, um, how, how long did the trip take? Uh, three and a half months. Wow. Yeah. We did about 30, 35 miles a day. And, uh, you know, what you would do in a half an hour in a car. Um, and it was quite, quite spectacular. There's a lot of things that stick with me just to the day. I think about it a lot. And there's a lot of things that you just visual images or places you've been or even the thought process of how it affected you. So from that, how did you end up uh, in a discipline such as eventing? Well, I think my mother was always in more in the eventing world. You know, she eventured herself up to the, you know, uh, current three-star level, um, intermediate level. And um, so she was always very involved. And then she got involved in dressage and she's a big volunteer and was one of the starters of the uh, dressage association and so she's always been very involved in that side of the world and the pony club and the venting thing was just always what we kind of did you know through the pony club rallies and i think pony club at that point was much more eventing kind of oriented 
And um, I was always around the Olympic movement, you know, because my mother was involved in it. And she was doing a lot of press stuff. Um, you know, she wrote Bruce's first book. You know, so, you know, the Bruce's and Jimmy's and Mike Plum's, these were all people that um, I that were around all, the whole time I was just growing up. You know, they were just around all the time. Wow, what a what a uh, great just experience to have that kind of knowledge and commitment from some of the elite athletes of you, of that time. Yeah, and they were and they were very helpful. You know, all the time. You know, uh, they all helped out when I was you know a kid, kind of you know coming up through the ranks. And met at Radner, kind of when I got noticed. You know, Jack Rogoff noticed you, and you got. He used to do the year after the Olympic Games. He used to take thirty people from around the country and. 10 at a time and he'd have 10 day training sessions and you went from a to z i mean you would literally how do you bandage how do you do everything all the way up to you know all of the writing work and um and then he used to then he would always pick two or three people out of that and those would be the people that come through like bruce was the first person that came through that program and i was the last person that came through that program <laughs> Um, and I got, you know, I stay, I got invited and stayed and was there for, uh, four and a half years up training under him up in South Hamilton, Massachusetts. And that's really where it kind of broke this way, you know, and it's, it really hasn't looked back since. Wow. That's awesome. So many of our listeners might not be that familiar with the discipline of eventing. Can you just give us an eventing 101 here? <laughs> sure. It's kind of like a triathlon in, in, in its own way. You know, it's three different disciplines and they're all really tied together. But the first discipline is dressage, um, which is kind of like you can equate it to ice skating where everybody does the same movements. So everybody does the same pattern and it's, and it's done on grace and beauty and, you know, uh, communication. And it really is a, a foundation of communication for all horses. Then you go out and there's a cross country phase now. You, uh, it's kind of evolved over the years, but now at the very, very top level, it's, uh, you know, four and a half miles, 45 efforts, jumping everything you can think of. Um, and really now very much testing the training side of the equation, um, not just the bravery or endurance side of the equation. And then uh, third thing is show jumping and normal show jumping, like knocking down rails costs you penalties. And obviously those two sports, dressage and show jumping are, uh, you know, disciplines of themselves. And, you know, they're done at a, at a very, very high level, artistic level. Um, so we're more, you know, look at that all around stuff. And the cross country is certainly the main exciting part of what we do. Well, thank you for that uh, concise definition of a more complicated sport. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, uh, it's great because, it, you know, it's, it's a real uh, testament to horsemanship and uh, communication with horses and riders. And that really does make, uh, you know, the sport what it is. So speaking of horses and riders, so you won badminton, one of the most challenging and prestigious international events in the world, with custom made in 1997. And you were the, only the second American to do that. It's quite an experience to go there. And personal for me, just because I'm a history person, I love history. And that is history. That's, that's walking just like the Masters or just like Wimbledon. You feel like you're walking on footsteps of the people that have come there before you. And that's a big, really kind of emotional part of being there. Wow, that's tremendous. So you have custom made, you have gilt edge, 
Yep. Both horses competed in the 96 and 2000 Olympics. Most people would just be thrilled to get to the Olympics with one horse. Can you give us some um, insights about the memories you have with these two horses at the Olympics? Sure. I mean, the big thing for first one, you know, that 96 was in Atlanta. So you're on, you're at home. And though you don't have a home field advantage of knowing the courses are ridden on the ground or being in those rings before, the crowd is, you know, very partisan. <laughs> and um, it's quite an exciting thing to, to do an Olympic Games at home, you know, to have that type of crowd behind you all the time. There was an individual and a team competition in those uh, couple of Olympic Games. And I was lucky enough to ride uh, two horses in both um, the same horses. And they were in their same roles of Gilt Edge being the team horse, Mr. Reliability, and uh, Custom Aid who, you know, just when he was on in flashes of brilliance, there wasn't anybody that was going to touch him. And uh, so they always put them in the role, um, you know, Gilt Edge just, he did his, he just did his job. Um, as always, he was the top American both times, um, in the top five in both Olympic Games, jump cleared, jump clear in the show jumping, you know, always wanted to go out first and did and in the first part of the team because he was such a reliable um, team leader that I thought you can go out there and set the attitude of the day and which is kind of what he did those times and other times of worlds and Pan American games and then uh, the first time I guess in Atlanta uh, wasn't so much custom made custom made was a big gallopy rangy horse very very powerful most powerful horse I've ever ridden not 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 just what I mean by strong but just pure athletic power. And it was a very twisty course, which wasn't his kind of style. And then I also threw a shoe like on fence six. So I was sliding around a bit and I couldn't go as fast as you wanted to on the cross country, even though he was, you know, second in the dressage and things like that. So we ended up fifth instead of meddling. Um, you know, but that, that hometown feeling is the first time that the U.S. had won a medal in uh, 12 years. And so that was a huge emotional uh, relief for us and then I was lucky enough four years later to get to do, go do it again into a fantastic games that the Australians put on down in Sydney and uh, custom made you know set a record or dressage which still stands even you know I don't think you realize that that's happening at the moment but I, I know he was good I didn't know he was you know but he, he kind of set an Olympic record and it still has that record wow wow so then you, you go from the Olympics to the 2002 World Equestrian Games in Spain. And that was an amazing experience. I was fortunate enough to have been on that journey and uh, was alongside the team the entire time. For me, it was a thrill of a lifetime. What was it for you, that uh, experience there in Spain? Yeah, we had a great team, you know, Amy Tryon and uh, Kim Severson and John Williams and I, we were all on a team together and um, had trained together over the summer and uh, just were a very, very close knit group, uh, very much pulling for each other. So it was very much of a unit. And we had very good horses. Gilt Edge again was the team horse, uh, went out first again, like he did. Um, in probably the toughest world championship course that I had been on, and I had been to four others, but I, 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 this was the toughest, by the I thought. Um, very, very hard. A uh, little bit, I, I thought, actually too hard in some ways. And it, that proved on the day of how many people really struggled with it. But we were very confident in our horses, you know. Um, you know, went out and, you know, had, had 
good dressages, you know, uh, and I jumped clear on the first uh, cross country round. And, and then the show jumping was, remember that, that ground was, you know, like rock hard because we were in Jerez, Spain. And I think there were four clear rounds only of the whole day um, out of, you know, 50 of the best horses in the world. And Giltage was one of them. And that's the first time the U.S. had won a gold medal in the world championship since 1974. And um, it was a great way to um, kind of top off a career in ways because I, I decided that I was going to let it go a couple years later. And I actually had decided on course that that was going to be Giltage's last competition. Um, and uh, yeah, good way to go out. Wow. Wow. You had this amazing career. And then in 2004, you decided that uh, you needed to do something else in life. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I would think that uh, riding eventing horses for a lifetime would be challenging, but you decided to up it a little by taking the reins as the president of the new United States Equestrian Federation. Yeah, it was, you know, it was a funny time. I had, I had, was always taught through my mother and um, that we had to, you had to give back. The sport's small. I'm a big believer in volunteerism because you have to give back because it's, and if you don't give back, then it's not going to last. You just have to do things. And um, so actually, you know, we started working on the committee work when I was, you know, in my 20s and 30s and, um, you know, chair of active riders and, you know, the sport committee and things like that. And then it was put on the board of the USEF um, just because you seem to have a little bit of a, a skill for working in that type of governance environment. So I was put on the board for the AHSA at that point. And um, there was a big kind of... Um, evolution of the sport deciding which way it was going to go between the USET, which was USC in equestrian team. So I ended up being kind of a middleman negotiator type of person. And they were like, okay, we, we have agreed to find a way forward. Uh, you've helped us with that, but you got to be president. And I was like, uh, I had, it was not on my radar screen in the slightest. And I think, okay, well, all right, just to keep this thing together, I'll try to do it for a year. <laughs> and it was, yeah, nine years later, I was so president. It was very rewarding, a uh, new federation, putting these, getting everybody to pull the same rope. We had great people. We got to do a lot of the things that people had been wanting to do for 20 years. You learned so much from the people, very, very smart people around the horse world in all aspects of life. And so you end up feeling like you get more out of it than you put in just because of the people that are around and what you learn off of them. Well, I think you were, you were definitely the right person at the right time to bring the community together. And I think the fact that you were there till 2012 is a testimony to your leadership skills. So awesome. job well there, David. Thank you. It's rewarding to see it be so successful now and, and in very, very good hands. So um, that's a time of your life that you're proud of. Excellent. So today, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the sport of well, it's always about having the growth side. You know, it's so popular at the lower levels now and keeps growing and people are so interested in it that I think to make sure that those levels, that the kids and everybody can enjoy it so much and trying to make sure that that growth pattern really happens. And the people that are realizing that the sport is, as you said, complicated <laughs> um, and two, very multifunctioned. And so you have to make sure that you spend the time learning it. You know, um, and I'm, I'm a big believer in the coaching side of the equation and 
making sure that the people that are there are going to have fun and they're going to be safe and they're going to have a blast and, and they're uh, pushing their skills and making sure that as people coming to horses more out of an urban environment instead of a rural environment, that people have the ability to be coached and educated in a way so that the sport stays so much fun and it stays what, what we all enjoy about it. Yeah, that's great insight. So for a young rider today, hoping to be successful in the discipline of eventing, what advice would you offer them? Well, the two things I've always said is always put yourself around the best people that you can find. Um, that's the big, and just be around them. And if usually if you're annoying enough, they give you a job. So I think it's really important that you put yourself around the best that you uh, can go and to make sure that you learn your craft. You know, I think it's Mark Twain that says there's a lot of people that learn the tricks of the trade and they don't end up learning the trade. And I think it's very important that you learn the trade. And that trade is to have a lot of respect for horses, uh, how they think and how they act and what they can do, because you're going to want to tap into that. And so coming from that empathy and respect, I think is huge so that you and your horse are enjoying it and having fun. I think that learning that craft and thinking about it as a craft I think is really important. Well, that's, that's excellent advice. David, I just want to thank you for taking us on this most amazing journey and just the impact you've had on the entire equestrian community. Well, thanks, Alan. I really appreciate it. As always, thanks for listening. Before you go, please take a minute to subscribe to this podcast. We want you to be the first to know of the incredible stories we have lined up in the coming episodes. Till then, happy riding.